Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. We are back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks, and my good friend, Drew Peterson. Thank you for believing in me and helping us out in this. I'd like to thank all your listeners once again for tuning in. You guys have been fantastic. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive, and we have helped so many people with so many different issues. It's I just, I pinch myself. It's pretty amazing. And it's because of the amazing guests that I have on. Today's no different. Today we're joined by the author of Fallible, a memoir of a young physician struggles with mental illness, Kyle Bradford. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and let me just clarify, Kyle Bradford Jones. Jones. I forgot the Jones part. That's all right. I, I include the Jones because there are so many Joneses and there are multiple Kyle Joneses around. So gotcha. I got to specify. Gotcha. No, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate you for being here. You know, Kyle, you've, you know, you've been through a lot in your life. Um, you struggle with anxiety. You, you went through severe depression. Um, you struggled to try to get your life on track. You, you even mentioned that you, you at times you've struggled with uh, perfectionism, mm-hmm. like having to be perfect, uh, the demands of your job, being a doctor and everything that you've gone through. Um, but, but what I also love what you said is you've worked really hard to put those things in control because I think you said, because your wife and kids deserve it. Absolutely. So he's married to his beautiful wife, Becky. He's got four amazing kids and, um, he, uh, you know, you see patients at a clinical program called the neural behavior home program, which is exclusively for individuals with a developmental disability and is, and you're very passionate about working with this population. And then again, your award-winning, best-selling book, and we're going to talk more about that. And again, just with your own struggles with mental illness. But I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come share your story with us. No, I'm happy to be here. This yeah. is great. Okay. Well, why don't you? Why don't we start off? Just tell us where you grew up and a little bit about your family life. Yeah. So I grew up in Farmington, Utah. So um, it's about you know 15, 20 minutes north of Salt Lake. Okay. And uh, you know, looking back. I think I had pretty much an idyllic childhood. You know, I uh, I played little league. I collected baseball cards. I rode my bike with my friends, and and uh, and all of those things. Right. I am the youngest of three, so I have an older brother and older sister. Um, and you know, it was just a a fun childhood. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was always kind of an anxious personality, but it wasn't ever, you know, it wasn't ever a huge issue. Yeah. Um. But, uh, uh, but it was, yeah, it was wonderful. Well, we were talking about how you're a, you're, you're a huge baseball fan, Minnesota mm-hmm. Twins fan, especially, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and then, you know, did that start when you were younger? Yeah. So my very first baseball memory was in 1987 when the Twins were in the World Series. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was born in Minnesota, which is the connection, but then moved sure. to Utah when I was really small. Yeah. Um, but, uh. And so, you know, that was the only connection I had to a professional team was Minnesota. And you know, so because of that, I remember my dad getting kind of excited at the, the World Series. And then in 1991, I was 10 years old, and the Twins won what is 
considered by many the best World Series ever. Yeah. And so for that to happen to a 10-year-old boy, yeah. like that is like the pinnacle of existence. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was just so excited and, of course, you know, so nervous during the games. And I would pace around and my dad would be like, you know, come sit down. Knock it off. You're making me nervous. And <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so much fun. Yeah. So, and again, you, you mentioned you were kind of like a more of an anxious, maybe more energetic mm-hmm. kid, but like you said, it wasn't an issue. And, and maybe that's, you know, as, as, as you got older, maybe it became more of something that you had to look at and concern. We'll get into that in a minute, but, yeah. uh, you've also, um, you, um, you graduated from medical college of Wisconsin in 2009 with, mm-hmm. with his MD and then completed a residency in family medicine at the university of Utah in 2012. And again, one of the reasons why I'm pointing this out is that in itself, to do something like that, we talk about the demands of life, but the demands of being an MD. Mm-hmm. I mean, how? I mean, I'm sure that had to weigh or play a part in a lot of these things that maybe you struggled with. Absolutely, it was huge, and part of it, you know, it's interesting. So, in medicine, there are significantly higher amounts of mental illness among physicians than in the general population, um, including substance abuse, suicide, um, all of these things. And, you know, I've looked and thought so much like, well, what is it? You know, what, what is different? And part of it, I think is a, like a selection bias. You know, you have those perfectionists who are more likely to go into medicine and, you know, when you get to medical school, everyone there has excelled at school right, and, right. you know, they've been at the top of their class or whatever. And all of a sudden, that's not so special. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <right>. yeah. <laughs> everyone's brilliant and everyone's a hard worker and, yeah. you know, and everyone wants to succeed. And and, you know, sometimes it's really cutthroat or, or whatnot to to get ahead. But then you have also just the nature of medicine itself where you know, obviously you're dealing with death a lot. You're dealing with suffering. Um, and a lot of the time you have no control over that, but people are coming to you hoping and expecting that. Right. And, and so, you know, obviously you do the best you can and you know, there, um, uh, are certainly things we can do with certain conditions, but in the end, everybody dies, of course. And you're almost taught that that means failure. You know, if your patient dies, that might mean failure. Yeah, like it, like it reflects on you somehow. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and you know, so of course, anyone dies doesn't matter if you could have done anything else or not. Right. It, you know, it eats at you, and uh, um, but also in medicine, we have this funny thing where, with the supervising doctors and the students and residents, we just we beat each other up. We're so mean to each other. That's, that's the culture. That's interesting. Yeah. And so there's, there's this thing that we call pimping where the attending or supervising physician is just berating you constantly with questions. Um, and they're not necessarily to see if you've been studying enough or if you know your stuff, Mm -hmm. they are meant to embarrass you and break you down as motivation to work harder. And, You know, I mean, that that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, how does that work? (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, oftentimes they'll do it in front of patients or in front of colleagues or nurses or, you know, whoever. And, you know, it just eats at you so much. And so you've got all of these things kind of coming together and coalescing. And 
you know, when you look at it like that, I'm not surprised there's a higher level of mental illness. Yeah, and all those things. So, and, and thanks for sharing that. And that's interesting. I didn't really realize that. And maybe a lot of people don't know that. Going back, you you know, you said you struggled with being, you know, feeling like I got to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that when you were little? Was it like you even noticed it as a kid? Like you were always trying to be like, like you said, perfect. Yeah, I, I did. Um, and, you know, I always wanted perfect grades. I, mm-hmm. you know, I never wanted anyone to be mad at me and, you know, just yeah. little things like that. If, right. if someone was upset with me, boy, that just crushed me. Um, mm. so, uh, so yeah, there was always kind of an element of that. And, uh, you know, I think that's a lot where the anxiety started to slowly build, um, as a kid and then into teenage years. And then it kind of came to a head in my twenties, um, as I was uh, preparing for medical school. And it was one of those things where you constantly hear, you know, nobody gets into medical school. It's so hard. You have to yeah. do so many things. Yeah. And and so I'm working my tail off going to school and working and volunteering, doing research yeah. and all these things that, that they expect you to do. And, uh, but I'm still worried that that's not enough. Right. That it just, I, uh, that no matter what I do, I won't be able to make it. Gotcha. And so it just... How old were you when you made the decision, I want to be a doctor? I was probably 16 or 17. Um, okay. My It was funny because, so no one in my family is in the medical field at all. Okay. And so it never really crossed my mind. Hmm. And then when I was a teenager, my mother had breast cancer. And so, hmm. you know, she would go to her primary care physician and her oncologist and her surgeon and and all of these different appointments. And then when she came home after those appointments, I could tell exactly what type of doctor she saw because, really? you know, whether no matter what treatment was possible or available, if she saw a doctor who uh, cared for her as a person and connected with her, uh, she came back hopeful. And if, you know, there were a couple of times she saw a doctor who was not that way and I think we've all, hopefully not all, but I think all of us have experienced physicians who don't have a very good bedside manner. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I saw the impact of that on her. Oh, and so that wow. was really inspiring to me of like, my goodness, like the, the treatment yeah. doesn't change no matter which of these doctors she sees, but she changes. Wow. And, you know, and that hit me hard and I thought, you know, I want to, I want to be a part of that. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing how just the way we treat someone like the way, you know, with respect and love and care and compassion, what that does. Mm-hmm. Like that's almost the best medicine almost, right? We yeah. hear that a lot, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, thanks for sharing that. I I think that's uh, one of those powerful things. So obviously being a doctor is no easy thing. You just mentioned that. And, mm-hmm. and you being the perfectionist, Did you, was is this when you started having really struggles because you went through severe depression and anxiety and things like that? Talk about that part of your story and how that played a, a factor in everything moving forward for you. Yeah. So, um, so as I mentioned, the, the anxiety kind of slowly built, I think yeah. throughout my life. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and I don't think it was, like I said, I don't think it was anything in my teenage years or anything that was clinical or to right. that extent. Okay. Um, I, end, I went on a, uh, mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, to Ukraine. And so from the ages of 19 to 21, I'm in 
a part of the world where it's always gray. There's just <laughs> yeah. this history and culture of depression. Right, <laughs> yeah. You just feel it. Right? Exactly. Yeah, it's just there. And <laughs> it feels like yeah. it was part of that perfectionism thing too, hmm. of like, okay, well, I'm here. My job here is to serve people, but if I'm not doing, if I'm not giving everything I have, then I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting their time. Right. I'm gonna fail. Yeah. Um. And so you know, it continued to build during that time, and then coming home and being an undergrad, and uh, you know, like I said, the, the classes and working yeah. and and everything. Uh, it just came to a head. And so I was working at uh, a group home for um, individuals with severe mental illness and disabilities. And I was working a night shift. And so, you know, it's the middle of the night. It's probably two or three in the morning. Everyone's asleep. It's quiet. And all of a sudden I have a panic attack, which I've never had before. So my heart's pounding like crazy. You kind of get that impending sense of doom and just this extreme anxiety and, and you know, it's terrifying. You think you're going to die. Right. And so, uh, but I was like, I couldn't leave (laughs) because I had to stay there to make sure everyone was okay. Yeah. You know? And, uh, so the next day I go to the doctor and I was like, I have a problem with my heart because you know, my heart was beating like crazy. I thought it was a heart issue. And so I describe it to him and he's like, no, I think that's anxiety. Mm. And it just kind of floored me. I thought, really? You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't, you know, sometimes you hear that and you're like, no, that can't be true. I didn't have that response. It was just shocking. Like, oh, I never thought of that. But yeah, right. But yeah I could see that. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, ended up seeing therapists and getting on medication and whatnot. Um, then, you know, fast forward about seven or eight years when I'm in residency and we're working, um, 80 hours a week, but it's, you know, you're working 30 hour shifts and, uh, you know, your schedule's constantly being thrown all over the place. And I just got hit with this awful depression and it was just so hard to get out of bed in the morning. You know, part of it, I think was the, the circumstances of residency. Part of it was, Um, uh, the disrupted sleep part of it was, uh, you know, I felt guilty that I never saw my family at the time I had two young boys. Um, and during residency, we had our third child and, you know, and and so I'm feeling guilty. I can't help my wife. And, you know, I come home in the day and all my small boys want to do is wrestle and play and, (laughs) and I can't stay awake to do it. And yeah, you're exhausted. Exactly. Just all these things. And, and it, it just got really bad. And so then I had to, you know, kind of pursue, I had to, uh, I was still on medications, but had to, you know, look at other options and different things and start going to therapy again and all of Did that. Did you ever like have thoughts of suicide or like, cause you know, when you get to that overwhelming, like, I mean, you were a lot going on. You're trying to raise a family at the same time doing all this other stuff, but yet yeah. going through this depression piece, I would imagine maybe, you had maybe some of those thoughts at that time? Or? Yeah, I I had kind of some uh, passive suicidal thoughts. Okay. So I'm driving to work and it's like, you know, man, it'd just be easier if I ran into that pole and was mm-hmm. seriously injured and I didn't have to go to work. Or, right. you know, I could just hang out at the hospital and take time off being sick, yeah. <laughs> you know, or injured right. or, 
or yeah. dead or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. I, you know, I never had a plan or anything like okay. that, yeah. but had those thoughts a lot of like, yeah, it might just be better off if I were dead. Yeah. I think that's more common than we think with people and yeah. people are hearing this right now are probably like, yeah, you know, I, I can relate with that kind of thing. And so, yeah. you know, so you're going through this, what, what was your, you know, your wife's response to all this, Becky's response? What, how was she handling seeing you where you were at? You know, understandably she was struggling as well. Yeah. Um, and she, each time we had a child, we didn't quite realize it at the time, but looking back, she definitely had some postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, uh, uh, you know, two of our kids were born in the winter. So of course you've got the depression and it's cold and you can't go outside and, you know, it might be grayer skies. Um, and then the other two were born in the summer, but then by the time winter hit, <laughs> you know, they're six months old and now they're right. moving around and, you know, <laughs> causing sure. other issues. And so, you <laughs> right. know, there was that seasonal, uh, affective disorder part of it. Um, and, uh, you know, in the, in the book, uh, we talk about how she, during med school, when I was struggling and she was having some of the, uh, seasonal uh depression and she would start like banging her head against the wall and really? you know like wow. really hard like not yeah. just you know soft things and, and just different things like that and you know she said well it just kind of relieved the pressure a little bit you know for whatever reason it just kind of felt good yeah and so you know that she's struggling but she like she still has to be there and be the mom and yeah. you know she worked through part of that and Um, it was kind of a mixed blessing because it was good to get her out of the house and doing something else. But then it was also one more thing she had to do. And yeah, wow. And so, yeah, you know, it's, and it's one of those things where no matter who in the family struggles with any sort of mental illness, it, it's basically a family disease. It affects everybody. Right. Everyone's involved in it and it spills out over everything. Did you notice you know, it even spilling over to your kids, were they noticing things? I mean, I know they were younger or whatever, yeah. but did you see that as well? You know, they, um, looking back, I knew, so I've, I've always kind of had like a short temper <laughs> and looking <laughs> okay. back, you know, with, with small kids, they, it can be easy to get frustrated and upset. Yeah. And so, you know, they do remember me like getting angry a lot and things. Right. And, and we've talked a lot about it since. And, you know, they, you know, I've gotten a lot better as things have yeah. been treated and, and whatnot. And, um, and they recognize that, that, okay. you know, those things have improved, but, but they remember dad at, at yeah. his worst. Well, I want to get into that with things that you've done to really help you in these areas. But also you mentioned your book. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the book. What's the book's purpose? Why did you write it? You know, why did you decide to go this route? Uh, there's a couple of reasons. First, I mean, the main reason is, trying to decrease stigma because obviously that's a big thing right now um, where, you know, we just beat ourselves up if we, it's not even if a perfectionism thing, but, but we think, boy, I can't, I can't have a a mental illness, you know? Yeah. That's taboo almost. Yeah. Can't even talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when my parents are growing up, someone with mental illness was the homeless guy muttering to himself with schizophrenia. Like that's what mental illness was. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that. So, it can't be an issue. Um, and so part of it was to decrease that stigma among physicians because, mm. you know, 
that perfectionism, that Superman complex, like, you know, yeah. the God complex. <laughs> yeah. Um, we hear that a lot, honestly. Yeah. I, I, I can't be hurting at all because this is who I'm a doctor. Kind exactly. Of thing, right. Yeah. And so, you know, that was part of it because if you have untreated depression or anxiety or substance abuse, you are much more likely to make medical errors and harm patients. And so a lot of doctors either don't want to admit that they're struggling or if they do recognize it, they don't necessarily want to get treatment, but because they're afraid it's going to hurt their livelihood and and whatnot. But I think the opposite is even more true that if you keep doing what you're doing with an untreated mental illness, you're going to cause a lot more problems for others and for yourself. Um, and, uh, so, you know, so that was a big thing, stigma amongst medical professionals, but then also the general population, you know, with uh, doctors are obviously looked up to and in society and whatnot. And so, you know, things like having someone who has been successful and say, yeah, I've struggled. It's, it's been that much harder to, uh, to get where I am. I think that that helps people too. Right. You know, that helps us Great. feel better about things. So how has the feedback been? Um, you know, cause again, you, you know, you not only talk about just in the general public, but you're, mm-hmm. you even get more specific with physicians and doctors and everyone that is struggling with it even more. So yeah. how has the feedback been among your peers? It's been very positive because I feel like maybe the last five to 10 years, there kind of has been more, momentum to being a little more open and okay and being okay with it because you're kind of like pioneering that i mean because like you said they don't no, normally talk about this especially yeah. in your field right yeah so here you are like i'm putting it out there that's why yeah. i was asking why did you go this route but that but I'm, I'm i'm understanding more of why you're doing this yeah and so i've had a lot of of groups um whether they're uh, residencies or med schools or, mm-hmm. or, uh, even practicing physicians where they want me to come talk to them and, and, yeah. and share it. And even a few months ago, we had the department of surgery at the university of Utah wanted me to come talk. That's really? huge for surgeons to want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, okay, <laughs> this is, this is having an impact. <laughs> Dude, totally. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Um, you mentioned, you know, I'm just reading on here, nearly mm-hmm. one in five Americans deal with mental illness in a given year, and the rates are climbing. Among physicians, the rate is even higher as the time spent in medical training significantly increases the risk of poor mental health. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you're doing, too, that maybe even the book goes into the, about helping that particular with, you know, is there certain things that you can do going through you know, uh, medical school and things like that. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of, of mentoring a lot of students and residents right. Great. as they struggle with that. And really, it's so funny because giving them kind of permission to talk, first of all, and be open about it, yeah. but then also permission to not be perfect. I mean, those two things make a huge difference. Yeah. And so, you know, when I... um. Uh, once a week, I supervise uh, family medicine residents in their clinic uh, when they're seeing patients. And so every time I'm there and, you know, it's we have uh, like 30 different residents. And so it's it's a few, you know, it's different ones each time. Right. And just sincerely asking, you know, how are you doing and how are things going? Yeah. Uh, it's 
it like opens the floodgate sometimes you know it's like oh i can talk about this and and you obviously you know what it's like (laughs) yeah you know for sure (laughs) and and you know that doesn't obviously fix the underlying issues but but it really does make it so much easier to be able to deal with the stressors right absolutely well, I know when I've sat with a, a doctor, you know, for an appointment here or there, the ones that do show that compassion, hey, I want to hear what's really going on with you. Like, how are you doing overall? And they really want to know about me. Yeah. It really does make the experience completely different. Yeah. Versus, you know, like you said, the, the other doctor who doesn't do that, they're all saying the same thing of what we need to, you know, mm-hmm. work on or or to take to to heal ourselves, but. It's, it's amazing the difference that you walk out of there with. And just that positive mindset, I think, helps a ton for the patient. But I would imagine when a, do- when a doctor is doing that and giving away that positivity, it probably helps the doctor at the same time. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Or? And that's one of the reasons I went into family medicine was, you know, <clears throat> we look at the whole person. And, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you... You have diabetes, but instead of focusing on, hey, your sugars are out of control, (laughs) you know, it's okay. Well, why? Tell me what's what's going on. There's more to it. You know, what's going on in your life that is impacting this? Right. And then you have that those long term relationships, too. And so having those things in a specialty like I knew I needed that um, to be able to uh, communicate on a personal level. Okay, great. Wow. So we, we mentioned there just a minute ago about there's some th- certain things you started doing because we mentioned you worked really hard to kind of put those things in check, the depression, the anxiety, the perfectionism, yeah. all of that, because you felt like, hey, my wife, my kids deserve it. I, you know, you deserve it. Yeah. What did you do? Let's talk about that. And how did you learn these things that you did to, to help yourself out there? You know, first of all, I did... Um, you know, I have engaged in therapy for years. Um, okay. I have a therapist currently even, you know, things are going great, but I, I still check in with her, you know, I need right. to, great. to keep that up. Yeah. I, I have been on medication since 2003. Um, and you know, from time to time you need to adjust that or find something that works right. But even more than that, it's kind of the, uh, mindset of, you know what? I deserve to be happy. I deserve to feel good and be able mm, to function. Like and like you mentioned earlier, my family deserves that too. Right. You know, my my kids don't deserve a dad who comes home and he just yells all the time. You know, right. they deserve someone who loves them and who is is going to connect with them. Um and so my my mantra uh, has become allow yourself some grace. Mm. Because you know, we, one of the biggest things with depression and anxiety is guilt. You know, you feel yeah, that guilt for right. not being better or for letting people down or whatever it is. And you know what? Stuff happens. We're human. You know, allow yourself some grace. You yeah. know, forgive yourself. I like that. Yeah, that's, and that's <laughs> so important. And so it would be little things like, <laughs> I, I, I hope my, uh, uh, supervisors when I was residency aren't listening because <laughs> <laughs> you know every once in a while I would just take a day off <laughs> yeah and so you know I would be on a rotation with some doctor and I would mm-hmm. just call in sick or whatever and and mm-hmm. just do whatever I needed to that day for yeah. myself 
And obviously, you can only do that to a certain extent. It's not right. like you can do that all the time. But every once in a while, yeah, I think you need that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just little things like that. Like taking time for yourself. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, and I get what you're saying. I think anyone listening to this has probably done the same thing in their own job. Yeah. Where I'm just taking a sick day, personal day, because I just need to get away for a minute. Yeah. And just do nothing, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there are all those things where we know that uh, focusing on a good diet, exercising regularly, all of those things really make a big difference mm. in your mental health. And I've had periods where I've done better with that than others and uh, and whatnot, but, uh, but I definitely can tell a difference, you know, right. if, if I'm trying to to work on those things. Yeah, it's interesting. So in the world I'm in, addiction recovery, I work with a lot of clients who are here here at Wasatch where they, you know, they're here because of a drug addiction or mm-hmm. alcoholism and and a big part of our program here is is exercise and diet. Mm, yeah. You know, we teach them to eat more healthy. We, we we they go exercise every single day and just that alone, if you just did those two, it's amazing what that will do for your overall happiness and mental health, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like when your doctor tells you, well, you need to exercise more healthier. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I get <laughs> yeah. it. And yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then it, once you actually do it, <laughs> yeah, it really does make a difference. Right. You know, getting to that point can be difficult, especially if you're yeah. in the midst of depression and you can't motivate yourself or, right. or whatnot. But you know what? Every little thing counts. I always yeah. take, tell my patients that if you're not exercising now, just walk around the block, you yeah, know, once a week for right. a couple of weeks and, you know, and then build on that. Every tiny little thing helps. Yeah. I love that. So what, do you have like a, like a daily routine that you try to follow? I mean, is there a certain routine you like to do and, and what does a day look like for you? Um, you know, a day with work is it's it's hard because I am I'm in academics and so yeah. about half my time is clinic and seeing patients and the other half is you know working with students and residents and right. and some research and things like that and so uh, so it kind of varies by the day. Sure, yeah. <laughs> However, I, I always make sure I have at least a few minutes over lunch. First of all, to eat lunch, which yeah. sometimes. Sometimes all of us, and especially doctors, we don't take time for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but also, you know, I I want to go for a short walk over lunch if I can, you know, and and just even if it's cold and gray outside, you know, I still need that fresh air. I need to move around a little bit, and that makes a big difference for me. Yeah. Um, and then you know when I when I come home, I try to spend. Um, at least a little bit of time with my kids as much as possible. Right. My oldest is 16 and, and my second is 13. And so they have a lot of activities in the evenings or, yeah. or whatnot. But, uh, uh, you know, my, my girls who are five and 10, they love to wrestle on the bed. So they always want to, dad, can we wrestle on the bed? And <laughs> what that means is usually I pick them up and toss them on the bed. That's yeah, what they, they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, I, I try to do something like that yeah. to make that connection. Again, the little things you're saying. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So um, another thing that, you know, certainly I don't do this every day, but uh, one thing that's really therapeutic for me are jigsaw puzzles. Hmm. I really like doing puzzles. Okay. And I read an article maybe a month or two ago by a psychologist who said that 
that is probably one of the best things that have helped many people through the COVID pandemic because it's taking chaos and putting order to it. Wow. And so it it kind of helps your mind kind of do that in other areas. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. That makes sense. That maybe that's why I like it so much. Maybe, you know, but, uh, get uh, you to laser focus on, forget everything that's going on around you. And you're just right here with this puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it starts out with all these pieces everywhere. It's chaos. And, but the goal is to put it together and create this organized picture of whatever. And, yeah. and, uh, I love that. I thought, yeah, that helps shape my thinking and you know, how I'm approaching things. Yeah. It reminds me of the the principle, what you focus on increases, you know? Mm, so if you're focusing yeah. on the puzzle, that's, you're, you're there, like you just said, you cr- get to create this puzzle out of this mess. Yeah. But that's your focus. You're not worried about, well, COVID's going on. There's a pandemic. Yeah. You know, it seems like the world's falling apart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that can be overwhelming, right? And yeah. so, what, well, you know, I think routine's important. And I like what you said. It doesn't have to be something big or fancy or it's just those little things, just even taking a little time, throwing your girls on the bed and, yeah. and just that little thing can go so far. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No kidding. So you're currently the family physician and associate professor in family and preventative medicine at the University of Utah of Medicine. Mm-hmm. That's a big role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that is, so does that add, I mean, is that something that puts pressure on you knowing that you're in that position or is that like, or are you kind of beyond that? That doesn't necessarily put pressure on you. I'm just curious because, you know, looking from the outside to me, I'm like, man, that's, that's a big role, big, sure. big thing to do there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll answer with my wife's favorite thing. Yes and no. She okay. hates it when I say that. <laughs> so yes and no, it, okay. it does add added pressure in that, you know, and it, with, academics no matter what field it's okay did you publish a paper this month or you know did you did you do this or or whatnot (laughs) and and I've kind of decided like you know I enjoy doing those things but I'm not going to give myself a quota or you know I'm not going to force it I like that and you know I'm not going to lose my job maybe that means I don't uh get a promotion as quick or or whatnot but I'm okay with that yeah um or things like, uh, you know, seeing seeing patients is tough, and it it wears on you in a lot of different ways. Kind of for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And so, even though I only see them with half of my time, that that can still be a lot of pressure. But that's partially sure. why I'm in academics okay. is so that I can kind of diversify, to break it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and help patients in other ways, like with training the residents or working with med students or things like that. Um, and so, but overall at this point, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm an associate professor and I'm doing these things, but I'm not going to kill myself to get to the next level. No, I gotcha. Again, kind of trying to have some form of balance through all of this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And even if that means, okay, well maybe I'm not going to be full time or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not going to go for that that new opening position that you know theoretically someone else may think I should right you know I'm I'm not going to do that if that's not going to work for me right well so how how has your religious background and maybe your faith helped you through all of this you know it's interesting because so I have a, a chapter in the book where I kind of 
dive into the role of religion and mental illness because some people see it as a huge hindrance to mental well-being and others see it the exact opposite that it's a huge support yeah and i've experienced both (laughs) at different times (laughs) and so there is the kind of the the research that's been done ultimately shows that it, it it depends on how you view god so if you view God as mm. this mean, terrible, punishing being that is only there to try to punish you if you don't do everything right, that has a huge negative impact on your mental health. Wow. Um, and if it's the opposite, where you see God as a savior, as someone who's there to help you, as supportive and loving, then it can actually be very supportive to your mental health. And... I've never heard it said that way. I love that. Yeah, it's, it powerful. makes so much sense, it right? It does when you say it, I'm like, duh. Yeah. But like, you know, in, anyway, that just really hit me hard. Thanks for sharing it that way. Yeah, and Dang. it's and so it's it's interesting because, you know, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or a Christian broadly, yeah. it, it, you know, a, a lot of people do have that view of the angry, punishing God but it's not necessarily based in scripture or doctrine. It's right. just kind of a cultural interpretation. Right. And so, you know, really focusing on, well, actually, you know, this is what is really being taught of Jesus as savior and, and yeah. the loving older brother and, and those things. You know, when I focus on that, that really does help and is a huge support to me. Yeah, I would imagine so. And again, I know... Um, I can imagine how that could go either way, especially in the profession you're in. And, and I know some people view as, as a, you know, stay away, don't talk about that versus sure. no, this is everything, every bit of part of my healing process is my yeah. faith and my religious background or whatever it may be, Yeah, whatever you might believe in. And it's so interesting, some of the feedback of the book, when people read that part, if they do believe in God, they say, oh yeah, it helped him. It was, you know, religion was a good thing. And if they don't or they uh, aren't supportive of religion, mm-hmm. they have the opposite of like, oh, see, it was negative for him. Uh, and yeah. I I think that's fascinating. That, it is fascinating, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're kind of picking out what your own view is. Uh, since I kind of experienced both, that's what you're choosing to focus on when you read it. I, I thought that was very interesting that's too. Fascinating. That's awesome. You know, so um, Fallible, a memoir of a young physician struggles with mental illness. Where would they find this book if someone wants to get this and read this? Um, you can get it on Amazon. Um, okay. You can uh, go to my website, kylebradfordjones.com, um, and uh, it has links to, to all sorts of uh, different places you can get it, okay. including from the publisher if, you know, a lot of people want to support uh, it's an indie publisher or, oh, or right indie bookstores that are yeah. near you. There is a link there where you can find your local ind- independent bookstore. Um, so any of those ways you can get it. I love it. So what what has been the biggest surprise in being a doctor? I know this is a big question because you've probably had many. Yeah. But being the you know going through the whole process, even the process in itself, did anything surprise you? Did anything? I mean, did you surprise yourself? I don't know. I mean, did you, do you sometimes go, man, I'm a doctor? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I do. (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) How did this happen? (laughs) Um, You know, I think I was surprised in that 
during residency in the midst of, of my depression, I honestly felt like I was losing my humanity. Mm. And, right. and that was a huge shock. You know, I did not expect that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's <laughs> studies of, of when uh, students enter medical school and they have these huge levels of altruism and, you know, kind of the, the cliched answer to medical school interviews of why do you want to be a doctor is, well, I want to help people, you know, but, but you honestly feel that you're going into it for that reason. By the time you're in your third year of med, of med school, that's almost completely gone by Mm, most students, which you know, it, it kind of beats it out of you, so to speak for lots of different reasons. And so, you know, losing, I always did, that's why I went into it, you know, like the story with my mom, I wanted to be that supportive physician, but I was just so tired physically and emotionally and, and spiritually and everything that I, I didn't think I could do that. Yeah. Um, and so that's partially why I ended up working uh, at this clinic with individuals with developmental disabilities because it was, in the book, I I basically say, I wasn't sure if I took the job to prove to myself that I hadn't lost my humanity or in order to regain it. Um, Interesting. And because I knew, you know, it's an underserved population. They are, a lot of people are very uncomfortable around um, a lot of, of people in this population and, you know, it was a need and I want, I needed to fill a need, <laughs> so to yeah, speak, I gotcha. you know, and, <laughs> and so, uh, and you know, it's been great. Like it's absolutely been the best move for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously it's more challenging in ways, but also more rewarding in others. Um, and so kind of all of those things together, the, you know, whether I, you could say I, I did lose my humanity or not, but the struggles I went through and then kind of coming out the other side and being able to be successful in all my different areas of life and whatnot, right. um, you know, has been huge and has really <laughs> probably been the biggest surprise, wow. <laughs> the ups and downs and where I am now. <laughs> no, I, I love it. Very well said. Thank you for sharing that. If there's someone listening to you right now, Kyle, who's struggling, they're going through mental illness, I mean, you've already given some good advice and things that you've been doing. What what would you say to them right now if they're in that that maybe that dark place and you know and maybe a challenge you could give our listeners? Absolutely, I would say allow yourself some grace. You know, back I, to the grace my thing, mantra. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And you know, find a way to do that, and that can look a, a lot different for different people, and that's okay. You know, whether it's simply just kind of accepting that, you know, what I'm I'm not gonna get. A 100% on every test or you know I am going to uh, get angry every once in a while or I am there will be days when I miss my workout and yeah. you know and that's okay um, just being able to um, to allow yourself that yeah that grace you yeah know? that's big yeah yeah it's hard to argue with that yeah sure <laughs> sure no that's awesome well thank you for sharing that if if Someone wants to reach out to you mm-hmm. and ask you a question or get to learn more about you. Do they just go to your website? Yeah, is that they, the best place? They can go to my website. I'm on uh, 
so Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, which is at KBJones11, all three of those. Okay. Um, but yeah, the website, KyleBradfordJones.com. Yeah, it's not just Kyle Bradford. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Talk about being perfect. You know, I want to be perfect for this interview with you. <laughs> and I, I forget to say the last name of you. You know anyway, what? And so it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, and I told you we would went just fine. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and thanks for, uh, you know, forgiving me. <laughs> No, you're you're wonderful, Kyle. Thank you for coming today, and I know you're a busy man, and, and that you were willing to come to the, uh, you know, the studio here, so to speak, <laughs> and and share your story with us, and 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 props to you for being willing to write a book nice. that really talks about, especially in your field where you don't talk about mil- mental illness, it's almost like taboo. And you're kind of paving the way like, hey, let's open up and talk about this. And so props to you on that. Thanks for doing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're awesome. Well, there you go, folks. Kyle Bradford Jones. I almost said Jones Bradford. Jeez, I'm really having a hard time here. (laughs) But no, thank you for tuning in. Please reach out to Kyle. Get his book. Um, It's not just for physicians and doctors. And it's for everybody. And everybody on some level goes through some mental illness issues And so this would be a great book for you guys to pick up. Reach out to him, send him a note, tell him thanks for being on and what have you. But uh, again, Kyle, thank you for being here today. That was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Okay, guys, we'll tell next time. Uh, Tune in and then share this uh, podcast, this belief cast with everyone that you know that may need to hear this. And thank you for believing in me and tuning in week after week. So until next time, thank you.